super excited for this game. I'm uh, I'm curious to see where it ends mm. up, and uh, if they launch it like an alpha testing thing, I'll be there, and maybe you guys as well. We can, uh, we can MMO together. That sounds like fun. Medical. <laughs> yeah, we can make a, a old man guild. Exactly, with all the like the old man reflexes, and we'll probably focus on you know non combats, nothing you need reflexes for. We'll do like yeah, you know, farming and fishing. That's it, man. Oh, <laughs> so excited for that. Hello there, listener, and welcome to the 16th roundtable of the Metacast, the show which is brought to you by Navic, in which we explore the business of video games. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by Mika Ahonen and Abhimanyu Kumar. And usually we would have Matei on as well, but he's sick today, so we excused him, and it's just going to be the three of us, nice and intimate. <laughs> All right, so today's topics will be, first, the, the debate comparing on-chain versus off-chain game assets. Um, and then we're discussing Raf Koster's new uh, blog post where he reveals the tech for his company, Playable Worlds. And then finally, we're discussing State Space, which is a gameplay training tool developer who raised $50 million in their uh, Series C funding rounds. And as today's bonus segment, we're doing another round of bold predictions, but specifically about NFTs. Uh, we're narrowing in on them on these bold predictions uh and finally if you enjoy talking about games make sure to also join our discord if you haven't already you can find the link in the description so what's new guys how are you doing mika hi nico uh, thanks for having me uh i'm quite excited actually uh lightheart is doing great uh, we started prototyping again for what will eventually be the second game um so while it's a good strategy actually to operate and grow, uh, we also wanted to be game builders from the start. So we are at it again. Nice. Does it have NFTs? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> maybe maybe you can convince me today to, oh, to actually, yeah. uh, full <laughs> NFT economy. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Emmanuel, how are you doing? Yeah, uh, doing pretty good, Nico. Uh, excited about the topics that we're talking about today and um, yeah also excited to hear that uh, Lightheart is thinking about a new game <laughs> after the first one I'm quite excited to see what the second one is going to look like nice to hear that <laughs> all right let's uh, dive in our first topic which is the debate on on-chain versus off-chain gaming assets and so basically this is a continu continuation of a discussion that started in our slack channel Matei posted about a story where an offer for a CSGO knife skin of $1.2 million was refused by the owner because he wants to get $1.5 million for it. Um, and so, um, yeah, maybe to give some context, so CSGO knife skins are very, very rare. Um, they come as a very low percentage chance drop from loot boxes, and they're highly coveted by CSGO players, despite the fact that these skins are purely cosmetic so they offer no gameplay advantage. Um, and so I had a quick look today, and most knife skins mo uh, today sell in the $300 to $5,000 range. And so our discussion started when I said that I understand that someone would be willing to pay $1.2 million for an NFT, but not for a CSGO knife. And then Manu countered that they're fundamentally the same thing. And so today it might be fun to have a discussions about you know the difference between NFTs and non-blockchain assets, um, but let's take it from the perspective of a player, and maybe also we could keep the discussion like focused to purely cosmetic items, so items that don't have utility. So yeah, uh, mind you, what was the reasoning behind you saying that they're basically <laughs> the same thing? I guess uh, I'll put one caveat to my statement, which is maybe the technology that's powering them is different, but in terms of how they accrue value, I feel it's fund fundamentally the same thing. Um, the technology that powers them, one technology, which is the blockchain technology, is able to directly connect an asset back to the actual owner, and there is public proof of this available. And that public proof is publicly accessible also, and therefore verifiable. Um, but probably in the other world, in the CSGO, Steam Marketplace world, this part is not really there. But 
the fact that the knife skins are dropping at i think like a 0.26 percentage chance i looked it up and apparently all the melee weapons are getting dropped at 0.26 um i mean that's bringing the scarcity to the equation and then the utility of the items are in the game um and yeah and of course like skins have some kind of uh, utility in terms of just you know uh, bragging rights or social value um and i don't know like aren't those the same things that also power uh, value for any virtual item that exists on the blockchain hmm. so basically d- just to to summarize what you're saying you're saying that you know the the technology technology underlying like the database system is different um but like for you you wouldn't pay more to have a certain game item on a blockchain instead of you know in a centralized database of of the game maker itself yeah and i guess that's what it kind of comes down to like whether for the player or you know the person who would be owning or buying or selling these items does it really matter whether everything lives on a decentralized database versus mm-hmm. a centralized one mm-hmm. and i feel like on a mass market level um maybe the decentralization aspect is not that important maybe it does become important over time but i feel the real driver is how people can essentially buy something for a certain value and then flip it for a profit at some point mm. uh, as long as they're able to buy a seller uh, as long as they're able to find a seller or a buyer sorry not seller and and the underlying technology doesn't change that right whether it's decentralized or centralized that's what you're saying i mean that's uh, that's at least my understanding for now um the fact that everything lives on the blockchain and that the entire database is publicly accessible records are immutable everything is verifiable i mean great but it would be just be interesting to know like how many people actually care about that or actually you know utilize all all those upsides uh versus another key drive of owning an asset which is available in scarcity and then flipping it for a pretty significant profit later and that's exactly the behavior that happens in the csgo market right now um the prices are not that high as it is for nfts mm-hmm. uh so maybe there is a third factor that's affecting the prices of nfts which is just you know as a zeitgeist element of sorts or something um but yeah i mean what's really making the csgo market uh work is essentially the same things that are also kind of making the blockchain or the nft open marketplaces work hmm Mika, you have anything to add to uh, because you you fall more on the money side, right? On this debate, I I would believe so. Yes, uh, I mean, I, I guess I I would like to ask Nico you the question that why would you pay more for an NFT of the CS:GO skin right. than than just the CS:GO skin, which is obviously created by Valve and yeah. uh, and and your ownership is confirmed only by Valve. All right, so. Thank you for that question Mika because I think that's exactly what we're talking about and and so for me um so I I would be willing to pay a premium for an NFT item over a you know an item that is not on chain. And there's a few reasons. So for me um the key difference between NFTs and non-blockchain items are the fact that they live on the blockchain. Um, and so the, the non-blockchain items reside in or live in the database of the companies that you know issued the the skins for example, right? Um and so there's a bunch of reasons i think why nfts are superior from the perspective of the player and why every person every player should actually prefer the nft um one is um for example what if valve goes bankrupt that's one question right um if valve goes bankrupt their database so that you won't be able to use you know your csgo knife skin right it's going to disappear um and you won't be able to use it and i can hear you say already like yeah but there's no csgo so you won't be able to use that knife anyway and i would say that okay let's say imagine a world valve goes bankrupt right csgo crashes there's no more csgo you currently i don't know how many players csgo currently have 
It's probably like in the millions, right? That reg play it regularly. And most of them have kind of skins. So if I'm a game developer and I have this community of people that have put hours and hours into a, a first-person shooter and have dedicated time and effort to, you know, gathering and money to getting these NFTs, they're there. And they have these skins um, in an NFT world, of course, right? At that point, you could build a first-person shooter and integrate the CSGO skins and you can add your own skins on top of that. But that way, you already have suddenly like a few million players that are going to be willing to play your game because they can use, you know, the skins that they've, you know, gathered for such a long time. Is that ridiculous? Yeah, I think... I I, I mean, I, I, I was trying to think of real-life applications uh, when, I, when I thought that we were going to talk about this subject and uh, like my real-life application was actually similar. So I think what the NFT enables is that I could create a... Let's say it's like a, it's like a 2D platformer take on Counter Strike that is called I don't know, Pro Strike 2D. I just mm -hmm. made that up, <laughs> and um, then the ownership of some rare skins would provide access in my game to some cool stuff. And uh, I mean, it's a pretty neat idea, but I'm not sure how many actual implementations of this idea exist out there that that are like sustainable. And mm -hmm. uh, and and I, like actually do this in a in a in a good good way uh, gameplay wise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But that's I think the biggest um, difference from the player's perspective, because a lot of the other risks, uh, the, a lot of the other risks, like like you know the company going bankrupt, uh, not being able to use the skin, um, the value going down because it's just a speculative instrument. All of those are quite equal. Uh, independent of the way that the ownership is uh, determined. Okay, because I give another another few reasons on top of what you said, right? So one other is uh, the supply risk. So mind you, you said that currently the drop rate of knives when you're opening a loot box is 0.026% or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the thing is that Valve can literally change that drop rate from today to tomorrow. So there's always this counterparty risk. And if we, we live in an NFT world where these loot boxes exist on the blockchain or, and are actually smart contracts, then you'll, you can actually see what exactly the drop rate is. And you also know that those will never change. True. Um, but I mean, Valve has already been like, and more, a lot more companies are being even more and more transparent about their drop rates like from the get-go. Also, the drop rates for CSGO, just on a quick check, like they haven't, really changed for the past two three years i think mm -hmm. um and i think that's because Val valve inherently cares about the community and you know their um uh, and their reaction to a change like that and of course now there's also a marketplace involved in it where a lot of transactions are already happening so any change to the drop rates they're quite well aware that it will cause a lot of community uh, mm -hmm. uproar that said um there's also the case to be made for, you know, these governance tokens that exist, right? And uh, worst case scenario, like I think your your risk also is like more of a worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. But worst case scenario, let's say Valve really wants to like change the drop rates. Mm -hmm. But the way that the blockchain games are getting built now, there's also this aspect of, you know, the government governance tokens and um, players actually having voting rights on the decisions made in the game and therefore being able to steer uh, the decisions that developers make. So sure, that is like added incentive also uh, in that world where if worst case scenario, <laughs> Valve, uh, Valve, you know, decides to change the drop rates, mm -hmm. the players can band together to maybe not make that happen, you know. So, and I guess that's also like one fundamental value of, um, you know, the player owned economies. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's just not, um, at least in CSGO's example, it's just not happened until now because there is just an inherent understanding between the developer and the player base that some things are supposed to work the way they're supposed to work. But yeah, your point is also true that at the end of the day, Valve is a business. And <laughs> if business needs to survive, sometimes hard decisions need to be made. Mm. Uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah.
But is it actually actually true that uh, let's imagine for a moment that uh, CS:GO all the virtual goods were NFTs? So is it actually true that Valve cannot just like mint new ones? The skins are already numbered, right? So there's already kind of the numbering system that each skin is technically unique, uh, at least some of the, the, the rarer ones. Yeah, so it depends, obviously, how, how everything's implemented. But in the world where you know, they work with loot boxes that you can, you, like you get keys and you have to buy boxes or the other way around. Um, and um, so in a world where these loot boxes are actually smart contracts, um, it could be enforced on the blockchain or at least you know you could make sure that every you know knife skin that you got came from one of those boxes right in theory um there is a world where suddenly um valve makes like a new contract a new loot box where there's a hundred percent drop rate of, of these these knives i don't know um but at least you i can imagine then this would result in like two types of knives the one that came from the og boxes and the one <laughs> that came from the new boxes or something like that i think that i've already seen similar examples from this uh, in the crypto world um so 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 you always have that but in the end th- that's a risk obviously still still exists it exists there's actually one big uh, advantage at least with um you know uh, how the csgo marketplace works on uh, on the steam marketplace right mm-hmm. now um I mean, when you uh, purchase, when you have a skin that you can sell or you purchase another skin, uh, and if you make profit on this, it all stays in the Steam wallet. So it stays within the ecosystem and you cannot actually cash out any of that. You can only use it to buy other uh, virtual goods in the Steam ecosystem or other Steam games. So because of that, third-party marketplaces evolved, which was now you can cash out <laughs> all your profit. They still, uh, a lot of them still work uh, on um, on the Steam Marketplace uh, API, but um, you can actually now cash out your profits. And I'm, I'm not sure like how their business model actually works and how they make money, but yes, it is possible to cash out by linking to your PayPal account or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's this third kind of marketplace, which is the NFT one, which is much closer to, uh, you know, the third party uh, marketplace. But mm-hmm. in the NFT marketplace, now you can, you know, like Mika was saying, now there's like act, there's actual proof of ownership directly linked back to the player. And and yeah, again, you can cash out over here. Uh, you can also choose to trans, uh, convert it into another, uh, I guess, another cryptocurrency if you want. Um, so that's that's, I see that as at least one big advantage of, you know, um, specific to the CSGO example where all the value is not just within the Steam ecosystem, but mm-hmm. you can actually like use it in other places and mm-hmm. and actually cash out. So <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, but if you think it from the uh, point of view of the publisher, uh, point of view of Valve, um, as long as they can, it's in their incentive to keep it as regulated as they, ga- as they can and... Uh, uh, kind of off off the distributed ledger and just in their yeah, own yeah. centralized ledger. That's clear. Yeah, I mean it's like Roblox, right? Roblox wouldn't want the the Robux or whatever off platform because you know you 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 can only keep like seventy percent of what you get or thirty percent even. I don't know. Um, yeah, it makes sense. But so I mean I have I have three more advantages ready for you know why NFTs are actually superior. First one, collateralization. Let's say that I'm I'm lucky enough. I started playing CS:GO. I got a loot box. It gave me this ultra rare knife, um, but I don't want to sell it. I want to keep it. I want to show it off in game. At that point, I can actually already on-chain collateralize it and get a loan. So at that point, I might have you know a, a CS:GO knife, CS:GO NFT knife that's worth 1.5 million dollars, and I can use that to collateralize and buy a house. Um, so this is something that is built in, in, in blockchain or at least not, not built in, but there are services that allow for that. And the moment you have NFTs, you can do that. So that's example one. Another example could be lending. Let's say that I own a CSGO knife, but I don't play CSGO anymore, but people who want to, who want to show off, who want a virtue signal that they're awesome and they want to carry my knife in games, I can lend it out to them. That's also, that's also built in. Um, so that stuff is also something that is, you know, something that you can do through NFTs and, and not, or, well, it's not 
um, usually available in in um, in game stores because, as you said, you know publishers will always prefer you know people to, <laughs> to buy new shit instead of you know renting it out or or, or renting it for somewhere else. Uh, so there's the lending thing, and then finally um, there's also the traceable traceable history that you have with NFTs, which means that I could buy you know the skin that Simple used. Simple is is one of the greatest CS:GO players ever. Like I can buy the skin that he used. Um, or that he used to win whatever tournament, uh, which would give extra value to this item, which you don't have right now. Um, and on top of that, um, CSGO already has stat track weapons. So stat, stat track weapons are weapons that every time you get a kill, the number goes up. So you can actually look at the gun and it has a number. And that's actually the, the number of kills that that gun got. Um, and that stuff is also you know built in or could be built in at least to to NFTs as well. So you can you know you can sell an an op or something or or a knife that got you know ten thousand kills, um, and that could then be way more valuable than one that that didn't have any. Or maybe you know a knife with zero kills would be more more you know valuable because it's in mint condition or whatever. I don't know, but it's all possible with NFTs. Um, yeah, I think some of those are actually definitely a difference between distributed ledger and uh, centralized system but some of them are not but i, I haven't i hadn't actually thought about the collateralization i would say that may, maybe anything that has to do with 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 using that virtual good as you would any financial instrument or making an fi, fi, making a financial instrument out of something um, they're probably uh, a standardized type of a token has uh, the advantage over whatever is just in the publisher's database. Hmm. So, um, am I convincing you, Mika? Or think about it? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. In our next game, we'll have uh, all the <laughs> NFTs. All actually. the NFTs. Nice. So, just to you know, give my uh, closing thoughts to the debate. Um, I wanted to. Just talk about um, maybe a framework around you know how to uh, how to basically value an NFT or how NFTs gain value, and I think a lot of the points brought brought up in the conversation help um, will be kind of captured in this framework. So um, there's this PhD from Columbia uh, University who also ended up working with Dapper Labs and stuff on NBA Top Shot, and um, and he came up with, uh, like he was talking about this idea that there are really two items or two buckets of items that contribute to the value of an NFT. And the first is just like the functional value of it. And then the second is the hedonic value of it. And a lot of the points that we talked about can actually be put into one of these two buckets. So uh, maybe I'll just take a shot at, you know, like, categorizing it a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Nico, you can tell me if I'm uh, missing one of the points or if you don't get the terminology for one of them. But um, but yeah, in, in functional value, there's one point that we talked about, which was proof of ownership, right? I mean, that clearly stays in functional value. Then there's the whole utility aspect of it, which means, you know, how the knife is used in the game or... Um, or, you know, just bragging rights that a knife skin might give you in the game. Um, then there's the liquidity premium part of it, which is, you know, how much, what's the, basically what's the demand and supply happening in, in that market. So therefore, like, what's your chance of actually selling that item and making a profit on it? And finally, there's like the future potential aspect of it, which includes a lot of the points that what, mainly, Nico, you talked about around, you know, future applications of this thing or you know a future valuation of this item if you were to buy it early so so that's like all the functional value part of it and then in hedonic value hedonic basically means the value that is given to an item just purely because of the fun of owning it or the play attached to interacting with it, you know, uh, very intangible. And over here, probably there are two things that we talked about. One And one was, you know, the whole creator part of it, like who actually made that NFT and that bringing value to it. And then the second one is the provenance part of it, the full, full story attached to the NFT, all the owners who owned it, 
all like all the stats it has uh, uh, collected over time and you know just all the battle scars it it has um and so in what way would it then like does it then differ from like non nft assets yeah so and that's the question like you know uh, like if you think about it uh, if you think about the uh, price the value of an nft in this framework you can basically ask okay what which parts of these things don't exist in today's virtual items and for example proof of ownership you know i think like the way that blockchain is able to do a proof of ownership and actually make it fully public and visible that's something that does clearly does not exist in today's centralized world but csgo also created its marketplace in a no nft world and you know culture is changing and if csgo was to evolve was to reinvent its marketplace uh, you never know if they're also able to do it in a more centralized um, in a in a more centralized design you know um, another another one that could be questioned is the application part of it which is part of future potential you know um, for example the interoperability that you mentioned like this part yeah i mean blockchain it's clearly like almost like an out of the box solution to make it happen you know uh, of of course like true interoperability is quite far away but it's the beginnings of it are still there so so yes th- there are like there are certain properties of this thing that you know that still exist in today's world like utility liquidity premium the value this valuation driven by rarity and speculation you know all of these still exist in today's world but then there are all these other new things like you know the proof of ownership or the provenance part of it or um the interoperability part of it that you know that feel unique to the blockchain but i i don't know i maybe the jury is still out on whether you know you really really need a blockchain to do it or not or it can still happen in a centralized uh, database but i mean if the blockchain exists and it can already do everything out of the box then why not <laughs> but i also remember your comment nico which was uh, only do the blockchain if you truly want to do <laughs> build on the blockchain so exactly building so, on yeah. blockchain is not fun yeah. all right <laughs> yeah i agreed cool that was a good discussion um i think you guys are right i i i just wanted to have this this point of view from from the player's point of view i mean uh look at it from the, the player's perspective um and let's move on to topic number two so raf coster reveals technology for playable worlds so raf coster uh, for those of you who don't know him is a very well-known uh game uh, d- designer and he's known for uh, as a creator for ultima online and star wars galaxies And he also wrote the book uh, Theory of Fun, which I actually literally have lying next to me on my desk. I've started it. Um, and he's currently the co-founder and CEO of the startup Playable Worlds, where he's building a so-called metaverse platform. So he also has a blog called Riffs by Raf, where he shares his general thoughts on games, game design, uh, but also from time to time shares more info on what he's up to. And so in one of his most recent posts, he shared more insights into the technology he's using. Um, and so basically he said that his company has built a working massively multiplayer server for their metaverse platform. Um, it's a true persistent state world, which means that everything you do is saved. It's also a network of servers, which make it, makes it easily scalable and more efficient. And players will be able to hop between worlds with completely different gameplay. So what were your thoughts while reading this and your key takeaways? What surprised you, Mika? Uh, yeah, I'm actually a big Raf Koster fanboy. Uh, his, his blog is like 20 years old, at least, uh, I think. And uh, the posts are still entirely valid. Uh, when I first got into game design, uh, I was reading Raf Koster's blog. And it's still worth a read. Uh, he posts not so often anymore. Um, or I guess the recent posts are mostly, mostly Paper World stuff. Um, and actually, like one of the earlier posts on the playable world side has probably the best answer for the question, what is the metaverse? It's also maybe the only answer that I've actually read from one of these companies. That's also worth a, worth a look if, if you haven't looked into it. Um, but to your question, I think the takeaway, I mean, it is a little bit of a PR piece, but still, 
the takeaway is that uh, it's naive to build a platform for creating virtual worlds, let alone a metaverse, unless you can prove that you can deliver quality content there. So what they're doing is they're building tools to realize playable worlds vision of or lack of better description a playable worlds so so uh, you're not just building a platform you're building both the tools and a game mm -hmm. that goes with it many your thoughts so first of all again huge rap costa fan uh, the book uh, theory of fun really set like you know foundational thinking for me when it came to game design very early in my career so uh, and yeah i mean it was cool to see that you know raf coaster has just continued to focus on this um, mmo passion of his for such a long time and now he's building this company which is essentially going to be a fully interconnected experience of all these different mmo worlds <laughs> um so i mean I, yeah i mean the name of the company really says it all playable worlds and some things that like really stuck out to me first was you know the tech of that company they're first of all like building everything cloud native which ensures speed of delivery for you know these large worlds and uh, and also speed of delivery for aaa uh quality large worlds which is which he continuously mentions in his uh, blog post mm. then uh it is you know to build host and share these mmo worlds which is all the content and then eventually make them all interconnected and why he's doing this uh this logic i found very interesting his thinking is great innovation is driven by uh, the fall falling of cost barriers and the way the logic works is uh the lower the cost barrier the more iteration that happens uh in a game experience therefore you can take a developer can take riskier bets and therefore it increases the chance of finding fun mm -hmm. and this has happened in many different game genres and but it's not happened in the MMO genre a lot just because inherently MMOs are hard to build and I think that's like one fundamental reason he's also starting this company uh, because MMOs are always high cost, less iteration, therefore less risk and therefore less fun. So this was this was also really interesting to see and then then that that comes to like okay how is he doing it and you know and then the approach of it um and I felt that also makes sense uh, and this is more in line with you know what Mika just said but first building the technology layer then proving the technology layer and then opening up that entire technology layer for other people to build on it mm -hmm. and like mika said like it should be proven or yeah he should make an attempt or his company should make an attempt to prove out that the technology works using a game of their own mm -hmm. but a secondary reason also is um and this is rafkaster's reason that so that that whole world can be first of all seeded with an audience but possibly a third reason is since it is so hard to build mmos and the on ramp to actually building a great mmo experience is still steep it will be hard to like you know give the players all those lego blocks and kind of expect them to build <laughs> build an uh, mmo uh, lego set you know so this first game of his also kind of uh stands as that example where people can come gather collect interact socialize and but then also gain inspiration from that and then take the lego blocks that playable worlds gives them and then create like more worlds of their own so mm -hmm. all of it makes a lot of sense to me but in each of those steps build the building tech proving tech and opening tech there are inherent risks in each of those uh i mean in the building the tech part um over there it's uh, yeah essentially can like will it really be possible to you know uh, create technology where you're able to create these a uh, ugc platform with these lego blocks that 
allows you to create MMO worlds delivered cloud natively, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of ifs. In the proving the tech part of it, um, on top of those ifs, it's also will the game that they create actually result in an audience seeding that they they want? Uh, will it, because you know they still have to create then a pretty enjoyable MMO experience. And then finally, in the opening the tech part, the big risk over there is will players, uh, even once they're in that first MMO world, will the Lego blocks that they have be enough to actually create an MMO experience of their own? Because I feel that's also one of the biggest risks. Building an MMO is still pretty hard. It's not just about providing the Lego blocks, but somehow making that on-ramp learning curve a little less steep also in a way. Um, so yeah, I feel if this platform really truly needs to thrive, then it's, yeah, this risk of, you know, okay, after everything is, after the tech is built, after everything is proven out, the content, first content exists, etc. will they be able to, will their offering be able to excite players uh, to actually create worlds of their own? without it being too much of a entry barrier or learning barrier. Do you, uh, Mika, do you think Raf will be able to create like a good MMO that will inspire creators? <laughs> I think actually, uh, I, I kind of disagree with money that the first step is probably enough. If they, cre if they create a great game, it doesn't really matter if anyone else uses the platform. That's just a bonus. Um, it's definitely the plan, but uh, but for the company to thrive, they only need the game. Uh, but uh, also, if the game doesn't succeed, then they don't really have anything. So that kind of needs to succeed. Uh, it's pretty hard to desi design any game with meaningful progression. Uh, it's even more difficult to design an MMO. Uh, but uh, perhaps it helps if you did it before a couple of times. Hmm. Uh, which is definitely the benefit that uh, Playable Worlds has in comparison to many of the other companies raising money with uh, Metaverse slide decks. Mm -hmm. So I think they have a definite advantage there. Uh, but then again, we know nothing about the game. Um, it's still vaporware, but uh, maybe it's vaporware with high quality vapors. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that, yeah, if I had to put my bet on anyone for creating a great MMO experience, I mean, I think Craft Costa would definitely be somewhere in the top three man, of you, that list. You're fanboying uh, too hard, man. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Mika's also right. You know, I mean, for the company to, to thrive, um, they really do need that game first. Um, but yeah, maybe another way to say it is, but to realize their full vision of you know creating the interconnected worlds then it goes beyond that one game mm -hmm. yeah i think that's correct and do you guys think that we'll ever live in a world where the, the true metaverse <clears throat> exists where you can hop from a world in playable worlds and hop into a world in roblox and do you think that will ever be be at that point i guess it's like ready player one scenario exactly yeah i think versions of that will exist for sure I would say it's a cliche, but like the technology exists, right? Uh, mm -hmm. there, sh there shouldn't be any anything that is blocking it with the technology we already have today. Except for um, human minds <laughs> willing to cooperate. Exactly. In incentive structures. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But I, I know what will be at the ba what technology will be at the basis of, of that, you know, blockchain. It's the answer, you know? <laughs> it's the answer to everything. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever question It used you to have. be 42, now it's blockchain. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm super excited for this game. I'm, uh, I'm curious to see where it ends mm -hmm. up. And uh, if they launch it like an alpha testing thing, um, I'll be there. And maybe you guys as well. We can, uh, we can MMO together. That sounds like fun. Medical yeah, we can make a, a, a old man guild. Exactly. With all the like the old man reflexes and we'll probably focus on, you know, non combat, nothing you need reflexes for. We'll do like yeah, you know, farming and fishing. That's it, man. Oh, <laughs> so excited for that. 
All right, cool. On the blockchain. Let's uh, let's go to the <laughs> third topic of today. State Space raises fifty million in their uh, Series C. So State Space is a company that was funded in two thousand seventeen and it de- develops gameplay training tools. And so their best known tool is called Aim Lab, and it trains gamers to become better aimers in first person shooters. And so it's basically like a shooting range where you have to click on little balls, and that way you train your aim. Um, and so one of the focuses of the company is AI, as it wants its tools to be fully adaptive. So they learn where players need most improvement, um, and they can adapt subsequent trainings on, on that specifically. Um, the article did not include a valuation, but with a 50 million in the Series C, we can expect we can expect their valuation to be uh, a few uh, few hundred million uh, usually. Um, yeah, I found this curious. I found this a high valuation. I've, I've never used one of these gameplay trading tools myself. Um, not that I don't need them. I just didn't like. <laughs> I wasn't dedicated enough. Uh, but, but my first question is actually like, do we have any idea about the size of this game training market? Mind you, do you know? I have to say that on, uh, I really searched hard for this and really nothing came up. All right. It, and maybe that's an indicator already of <laughs> it being a pretty small subset within the esports industry somewhere. Mm. Um, and that kind of uh, like made me ask the question whether the value of this company is really in the gaming space or is it really outside of the gaming space? And that's why they've had funding rounds up until series C. I think they've raised like a hundred million or something in total. Um, because yeah, I mean, some of, some of their, I mean, their base technology layer and, um, and some of the base tools that they're building can easily be transferred out in an outside games context, maybe even especially in the health industry. So, Mm. um, that, yeah, I kind of like landed at that question. I don't know what Mika thinks. Yeah, I mean, I had exactly the same thoughts. I'm not actually familiar with State Space's product as such and like what they actually do, but just like, I mean, the gamer training market is a drop in the ocean. I didn't even Google that. I I, kind of like, (laughs) you can just like think about how many professional esports athletes there are. And how many of those would have a use for for a tool like this? So it's I, I can count those with fingers, maybe. But uh, <laughs> Manu, I, I had better ex- higher expectations, Manu, because actually, if if you found that this was let's say a hundred million dollar market, you could have added that to the total size of the gaming space, <laughs> which would, you know, increased. Why, why why do you think I googled it? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, damn, we made a mistake. It's even bigger. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to continue on that. Uh, I mean, just uh, I mean, I, I guess the global healthcare market is in in trillions, and um, global medical device market must be in hundreds of billions. And if you just think about like a adjacent uh, category to what State Space is doing, which is uh, like VR assisted training, I think that was that's that was from the beginning the most interesting application for for VR. Uh, in things like a uh, simulation for soldiers, surgeons, mm. professional athletes, mm-hmm. uh, not just sports athletes. I mean, even car mechanics. Mm. It's pretty easy to see the applications of uh, of a good quality VR experiences in VR assisted training. Um, so, if I had to make a bold guess, I would think that that's the type of uh, direction that companies like State Space are going toward. So, generic. More generic um, training for all humans. But don't you think that... So first of all, I think usually startups need to focus, right? Um, And actually, I haven't looked this up, but I can imagine that there's a lot of companies doing exactly what you just described, right? Uh, So my question is, is there not room or isn't there going to be a market um, in the gaming space more specifically for companies focused on, you know, training people to become better gamers? I mean, I think like the biggest market right now is like you can buy these boosting services and coaching services. If you mm-hmm. just search for uh, uh, how to improve in League of Legends, mm. that market already exists. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know if I doubt that it's a huge market. Uh, yeah, it it must be still quite niche. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like even for esports players, 
I think the biggest gains in skill just happen by simply playing the game. But then there could be like a further incremental optimization happening on those skills with all the AI and data interfaces and brain interfaces that, you know, um, State Lab is um, is working towards. But it's... But, but it's equivalent to yeah. it, it's equivalent to coaching in normal sports. Yeah, yeah. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that my gut says that it's just going to be an incremental increase to us to their skill, and maybe that incremental increase actually matters in that high competitive space, you know. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's like at least for gamers. If you're able to just play with a lot of people, uh, if you're able to play the same game, maybe even just across a few maps or whatever with a lot of different people, is is there a better way to become better? I just <laughs> I actually I actually fundamentally disagree. I think already now the best esports athletes are training in a much more structured way than just playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's that's like saying that the only way to get better at football is to play more football which mm. isn't technically correct mm-hmm. yeah no 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 that that's not what i meant i mean uh for sure like i mean the esports teams are training in a very very much more structured way i mean they have like a full day regiment and whatnot where they get up at seven go for like a morning jog and things uh but um i guess i was just more talking about you know the data the data aspect of it because that's what like state space is really bringing to the table which is Mm. you know the um, putting like the brain interface on your head or giving you exercises uh with you know eye tracking etc that can like make you find your weak spot um but yeah i mean maybe the point at least for games maybe the point is that yeah that incremental increase you know given by tools like this really does matter at the at the real high competition layer so actually i i would argue that it's going to be is going to go down further than the top competition layer i think two reasons so one is um i think there's more and more like small esports grassroots teams coming up and with you know the the democratization of services like this where it's not going to be very expensive i think they're going to be interested in increasing their performance so we could we could talk about a League of Legends team for example that mm. would you know a, a tool that would analyze your gameplay and and analyze your csing um, in lane, lane and, and team fighting and all that stuff. Um, if that gets automated and and becomes you know affordable, I think I think the demand's going to be there. Um, and then next, uh, I hate to come back to this, but the, we currently have a play to earn thing growing, right? Where <laughs> you can almost see getting trained to play games as an investment, you know, to increase your future earning potential. So um, I honestly think that this 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 whole space is more specifically in games uh, has has some potential to grow. I have one question for you, Nico. How do you manage to bring in <laughs> blockchain play to, and yeah, to it, into know, every topic? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, it's it's yeah. It's, it's a calling. A it's the true calling. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm here for. I mean, I, I I have to agree with you, Nico. Especially looking at all the skill-based gameplay that we see in all the blockchain games exactly man <laughs> it's Actually, like, it's like the, ha- the, the, the skill ceiling is like it's sky high dude i mean i i know that the skill ceiling is very high because i haven't reached it at all and i keep telling you man my i cannot do shit with my axie team we um, need to get you eye tracking for axie infinity I- exactly I'm, I'm i'm calling these people what is it Stay space. All right, I'm I'm your first customer for your Axie training bootcamp tool, whatever to make me uh to make me better. All right, um yeah, let's run this 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 topic up as well. Um, I expect us in one year to to be back and to talk about the huge you know game training markets, um, especially for the the, <laughs> the play to earn space. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, l- let's move on to the to the bonus segment. So bold predictions about NFTs. Um, and I mean, these could be positive and negative. So, uh, very curious what, uh, what our, our panelists today are coming up with Mika, go ahead. Okay. So maybe you saw this coming, but, uh, I mean, recently the French startup, uh, Zorari was valued at $4.3 billion Oof. in their series B round. And my bold prediction is that, uh, history will see 2021 as the peak year in valuations of blockchain-related growth companies, out of which Zorara is 
just one example of many. Wow. Okay, interesting. Manu? Honestly, dude, I actually forgot to do a bold prediction preparation. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I I need to think about one. Um, All right. Meanwhile, I'll 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 talk about Mika's uh Mika's uh thing. I actually so I, let me go into it. So you know what I don't like? I don't like um traditional sports games. So I think that if football was not a sport, then FIFA would never be a game. And so what I think is happening with both Dapper Labs and So Rare is that, you know, a lot of traditional investors are looking at it and, and like, like they look at Axie and then they don't get anything what is happening, right? It's just like Pokemon, like, like creatures breeding, what the hell is going on? And they see So Rare and they're like, oh, these are, you know, cards. I've seen those physically and they're now put on the blockchain. And I think that that is behind these, you know, these insane valuations. Just the fact that, you know, these traditional, you know, six-year-old investors that have all the money uh, understand it. And so I, I would actually, I'm going to, I'm going to narrow in on your bold prediction. And I'm going to say that I agree, but only for the, you know, the traditional sports-based, you know, blockchain gaming, play-to-earn uh, companies. There you go. Symbiotic. I just figured out that it's a... So rare. I yeah, thought so it was rare, so yeah. rare. <laughs> no, it's so rare. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, it, it all makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Manu, um, go ahead. All right. So uh, since the topic is uh, NFTs, my bold prediction is, or actually the prediction part of it is Apple and Google will allow uh, the showcasing of NFTs in apps probably next year and probably the bold part of it would be would also allow transacting of those nfts with cryptocurrencies in the next three years so let's say if OpenSea were to make a um a iphone or ios app where you can you know connect your wallet and purchase stuff then apple would allow that that or they just have their own. <laughs> Maybe that makes it even bolder. Yeah. I mean, or they, as in like they're doing it in their own ecosystem in a yeah, way. Yeah, they yeah. have their own like permission blockchain and, you know, they're, they're conducting marketplace activities on that within the App Store ecosystem. All right. Manu, great prediction. Uh, Mika, uh, yeah, thank you too for your prediction. I liked it. Um, so that rounds up today's episode. So thanks for joining me, Manu, Mika. Um, and I hope that Matei is feeling better. He will after listening to this. Um, so listener, if you like talking about all things games, then join our Discord. We actually made a separate channel for blockchain and games, um, if that's your thing, so you can hang out there and, and talk to me, basically, because I'm, I'm there, I live there. Um, <laughs> and so you can find links for that in the description, or you can find everything at navic.co. This was the Metacast, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Cheers. See you. Thank you. Thank you.